The strongest agent is God's grace. When we think of what moves us, what changes us, there's nothing more powerful than God's grace. The Apostle Paul, he'd experienced the grace of God in a very tangible way in his life. He persecuted followers of Christ, arrested them, had them killed, and God in his grace pursued Saul when he didn't want anything to do with the Lord. And Saul became Paul. And Paul lives out of this grace. He responds to this grace. And in this chapter, he challenges us to not receive the grace of God in vain, to allow the grace of God to impact us to the point where we serve the Lord. So we're going to be looking at this morning the impact that grace has on our hearts and our lives. In verse 1, we then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. We are workers together with him. God has welcomed us onto his team to where he wants to use us. By no means does he need us. We're not necessary for his work, but he delights in using us. Many ways in the way we enjoy doing things with our kids and doing projects with, with our kids. And a young child isn't necessarily going to help the project go more smoothly. But there's some joy in doing that with your, with your child. In the same way, it's not that us partnering with the Lord is going to make the work go more smoothly, but God loves to do his work with us and welcomes us into that work. As you serve the Lord, remember that you're not alone. Remember that the creator of the universe is with you as you're sharing the gospel with an unbeliever, as you're encouraging believers, as you're seeking to be faithful in the work that God has given you to do. He's with you. We're workers together with him. And then he pleads with us not to receive the grace of God in vain. If you remember from last week's study, the end of chapter 5, him who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God, the grace of God. He knew no sin, but yet he took my sin upon himself so that I could be robed in Christ's righteousness. When we've received that grace, then it impacts us and we live in that grace and desire to serve. I oftentimes think about it this way. If you received a transplant, a heart transplant, and you were sitting with the family of the donor, the deceased donor, what kind of gratitude would you have to that family, to the husband, to the wife, to the mom, the dad, the brother or sister? And Christ, he has laid down his life for us. And we respond to that grace by saying, I want to serve the Lord. I, I don't want to live out this life in vain. I want to live this life fully to the Lord. So the rest of the chapter really shows us of what does it look like to live for the Lord. In verse 2, for he says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, and in the day of salvation, I've helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of understanding. As the servant of God, we want to live understanding time. We want to understand the reference of time. In Isaiah 49, verse 8, that's what's being quoted here. God speaks to the nation of Israel and says that he, I'm going to use you. And I'm going to open up the message of salvation to the Gentiles. And that's what's being quoted. And it says, in an acceptable time, I've heard you, the cry of the Gentiles. And in the day of salvation, I've helped you. And behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. 
Through Christ's resurrection, it's an open door to salvation. If you don't know Christ, if you haven't trusted him for salvation, God is ready. On his timetable, in his economy, he's always ready to save. So you don't have to wonder, is God ready to save me from my sins? Is he ready to forgive me of my sins? Is he ready for me to be the child of God? He's ready. He declares in his word, now is the acceptable time. I have given this offer. It's to you. You can receive it. You can trust the Lord and be the child of God. Sometimes when we're trying to get together with someone, spend time with a friend, someone may say, hey, let's hang out and let's spend uh, time together. And then as you're pursuing them, they really don't have time to hang out. Hey, let's do that hike. And you follow up with them. Hey, when's a good time to do that hike? And they, they never get back to you. God is faithful on his invitation. If you will turn to him, if you will turn from sin and trust what he's done on the cross, his death and resurrection, he will save you. And it's important to respond now. It's important to not wait to some other point in your life. I remember growing up in the church and saying, well, I don't want to serve God right now. I don't want to trust Christ as my, my Savior. I want to do my own, own thing. And maybe later on in life, I'll, I'll trust Christ. And thankfully, God went out and didn't allow me to stay in that mindset. But if you're putting it off to some later point in your life, what if you run out of time? What if you go home to be with the Lord? One thing that COVID virus has hopefully taught us is our mortality. A virus could wipe us out. A, a virus could take us into eternity. Even before COVID virus, that, that's the reality, right? Through sickness, through a car accident, we could be stepping into eternity. And are you prepared to meet the Lord? Now is the acceptable time. Don't wait. This morning, right now, receive Christ as your Savior. But also for us as believers, as we're impacted by grace, we want to live with this understanding of time. We want to live understanding our Father's always welcoming people into his family, always welcoming people into his kingdom. That our time is limited, but also those around us, their time is limited. I woke up early this morning and just found myself uh, reflecting, and I was thinking about the age of my kids, and was like, okay, if I live to be 75 years old, I'll see my oldest daughter's 50th birthday. And I was thinking, that's not very long. Like, that, that's going to go pretty quick. I, I've only got that 50 years, potentially, with my, my oldest daughter. There's about nine years difference between our oldest and our youngest. We have, we have four kids, and so I was doing the math on my youngest, and I was like, man, I've even got a little less time with my, with my youngest. And, and that's if the Lord allows me to be 75, right? Not, not everybody lives to be 75, just between me and the Lord, 75 seems just about right. <laughs> but he gets to choose, doesn't he? He gets, to, he gets to decide. But time is a gift, and so we want to redeem the time and be aware of time. In verse 3, we give no offense in anything that our ministry may not be blamed. Paul was not wanting to put a stumbling block in the way of serving the Lord. As we live out God's grace 
in our lives, people will be offended. People were offended at Paul's ministry because Christ is offensive, but Paul didn't want to put stumbling blocks there by his own sin. In verse 4, but in all things we commend ourselves as ministers of God. So we live understanding time, but we also want to live as servants of God. Paul finds himself in the position with the church of Corinth that he has to try to win or gain their trust again. So he's sharing with them, hey, this is why I'm a servant of God. This is what you can really look at in my life to build trust that you would receive the message from me. Let's break this down on a simple level for just a moment. It's really important. Ministers of God. The word minister, it means servant. Where we choose to serve the Lord. Because God is so good and he's gracious and kind that we daily take up our cross and say, God, I want to serve you. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel were only allowed under the law to have a fellow Hebrew be their slave for six years. Then on the seventh year, they were to let the slave go free. But if that slave found his master to be benevolent and kind, he could choose to be a slave for life, a bondservant. The left ear would be pierced to symbolize they were a bondservant. That's how Paul referred to himself many times as a bondservant. I'm serving the Lord. And for us to regain that perspective of, God, I get to serve you today. Jesus washed feet. He washed the disciples' feet. We get to serve one another because we, we want to serve God. It's not easy serving the Lord, as we're going to see, but there's nothing better. There's nothing better than serving the Lord. There's nothing better than, than following the Lord and living for him and seeking to do his will. So this describes the servant of God in much patience in tribulation, in needs, in distresses, in stripes, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in fasting. So as Paul served the Lord, it was in much patience. The word is endurance or, or being steadfast. When you think of a servant of God being proven, look at the trials that they've endured for Christ's sake. To be steadfast. Maybe as you serve the Lord, you're being tested. And you're wondering, is it worth it? I've put myself in this direction. And now I'm being challenged. You're exactly where God wants you to be. And, and don't give up when there's hardship. Don't give up when there's tribulation and needs and, and distresses. Is because that approves you as a servant of God. There is place for Bible college and seminary. I had the opportunity to go to a two-year Bible college, but that's not what really approves you as the servant of God. Reading a commentary or listening to a sermon, going through any type of curriculum in that way, just in and of itself, going through the classes doesn't approve us as the servant of God. When we're enlisted in God's school of hard knocks, that approves us as the servant of God. As you set your course in serving him and not giving up in the midst of trial, that approves you as the servant of God. That, that's evidence of the things that maybe you learned in Bible college. Evidence of the things that maybe you learned in seminary. Evidence of the things that you learned in, in the sanctuary. But our outward actions are important. What Paul lists here are his outward actions. There was times where 
There was labors, there was sleeplessness in fasting. This, this is in reference to not choosing to fast, but he didn't have food. This was to the degree that Paul uh, served the Lord, his, his outward actions, the conditions of being a servant of God. But then we look at the inward attributes, the, the characteristics of being a servant by purity, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Spirit, by sincere love. As we serve the Lord, hopefully by God's grace and his work inside of us, there's, there's a purity within us. There's an integrity that, that is there. Unfortunately, it seems that there's so many pastors that are falling into to sexual sin. It, it's happening at a greater and greater rate. A class that you won't find in seminary is one on purity, one on sexual integrity. But I think it's needed. I think it's valuable. I, I think it's important. We think of Daniel in the Old Testament and Joseph in the Old Testament. What makes them stand out is they walked in purity. They walked in sexual integrity, and God used their life. If we want to stand out as a servant of God, walk in purity. Allow the Lord to search us. And thankfully, by God's grace, where there is sin in our lives and there is compromise in our lives as we turn to the Lord, He's able to purify us, but that importance of then walking with him, of not having that duplicity by knowledge. This speaks of intimate and personal knowledge. Yes, the academic understanding, but the personal knowledge, the kind of knowledge that a husband and wife have of each other, that we would have that kind of knowledge of the Lord, always desiring for the truth to be personal. By long-suffering, this speaks of being patient with one another. The servant of God should, should be patient with others by kindness. Kindness is so attractive, it's so needed, it's so, so lacking. I think the kindness thermometer went way down in 2020. Stress went way up and kindness really went out the door. And it's easy in all of the stress and the difficulty and the questions to, to not be kind to one another. Jesus, I'm sure, treated people with kindness. As he went out through his day, I wonder the smiles and the kind of words of encouragement that he spoke in people's lives. And I'm just so thankful for what's next in our list is by the Holy Spirit. Because we can start feeling pretty beat up. Man, I'm a terrible servant of the Lord. There's a real lack of kindness in my life. There's a lack of long-suffering in, in my life. There's a lack of purity in my life. It's by the Holy Spirit. Not by power, by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. God is ready to pour out his spirit in our lives for the purpose of us being able to walk in kindness and long-suffering. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of trying to do it on my own resources. I'm tired of trying to conjure this up without a work of the spirit in my life and depending upon God's spirit. By sincere love, sincere love. Jesus said, this is how they'll know that we're his disciples, by our love for one another. The way that we love and the way that we care for one another, they'll see that we're followers of, of Jesus Christ. Sincere love is genuine love. Not a love that's manipulative, not a love that's self-seeking, but I genuinely care for you. I genuinely desire your well-being. I, I genuinely desire for you to 
know who God is and know the truth of Scripture. And notice where the genuine love meets with truth in verse 7, by the word of truth. Love comes first. Love gives the opportunity to share truth, but love is not the absence of truth. Love is married to truth. Jesus came in the fullness of grace and truth. To love someone is to share the truth with them. So we have the inward attributes of a servant of God, but then these are the spiritual tools that God gives to us as his servant, the word of truth. And the word of truth is gonna equip us for every good work. God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword. It, it's effective. And what an important time to know the truth and to share the truth. We need to be sharing truth with each other as believers to encourage each other as we're having conversations. Hey, this is what the Lord convicted me with. This is what the Lord encouraged me with. To spend time reading the, the scriptures uh, together. One of the things that that COVID seems to be doing is affording us more time together. So families, those of you that are with your kids and your kids are still in the home, man, let's read the scriptures together with our, with our families. Husbands and wives, share the scripture of what God's teaching you. Singles, take the opportunity to reach out to friends, to family members, and, and share what God is, is doing in, in your life. Pick up the phone, use a text, share the word of truth. Our culture needs the, the word of truth. People are confused, wondering, what's right? What's wrong? Did I fact check it? Where can I trust this? Is, is this truth? You can trust the word of God. The word of God is truth. And Jesus said, know the truth and the truth will set you free. The truth has the power to be able to, to set you free. So, our tool that God has given to us is the truth. By the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, by the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. The last few weeks in our home, we've been watching The Mandalorian. Anybody seen The Mandalorian out there? All five of you guys? I'm, I'm in trouble. So, so Mandalorian is part of the Star Wars series. It's on Disney Plus, and so you guys can find a new church if you want, but I'm not into all the mysticism of Star Wars, but I do like the Mandalorian, and this is why, because Mando has cool armor. He, he's this bounty hunter that goes out and gets bad guys, and the reason that he's effective is because he has this armor that nobody else has. Only Mandalorians have this, this armor. And forgive me, I was thinking about the Mandalorian when it comes to armor of righteousness. <laughs> so spiritually, we've been given armor from God that unbelievers don't have, that, that we didn't have before we knew Christ as our Savior. If we're going to serve the Lord and navigate this dark world, we've got to be familiar with the armor and use it and live in it. The helmet of salvation, Ephesians 6, describes the armor of God. You think about how important a helmet is. All you moms know how important a helmet is when your kids are going out to ride their bikes. Do you have your helmet on? And the dads are like, eh, I don't really care if they got their helmet on, right? I never wore a helmet growing up. They'll be, they'll be fine. The helmet of salvation, it protects our thoughts. And the battles are won and lost in the thoughts. 
Are our thoughts being filtered by salvation? That this is temporary, that I know I'm going to go home to be with the Lord, that I know that I'm loved by God. The breastplate of righteousness. For police officers, bulletproof vest. For us, as Satan is attacking us, it's Christ's righteousness that protects our heart, protects our vital organs spiritually to know and trust that I am forgiven when the accuser comes against me. The shield of faith, protecting from the fiery darts. Is faith important? Yes. Oftentimes we really struggle when we begin to doubt. But as we trust the Lord, to trust him with all of our heart and lean not on our own understanding, that's protection. It's a gift that God's given to us in the armor. The belt of truth. Again, with police officers, that belt's really important. All their tools are are hanging from their belt. Everything hinges on truth and is held together by truth. We're given the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Specifically, targeted verses for specific struggles, for specific situations. Not necessarily quoting a whole chapter, but using a particular verse the way Jesus did when he was tempted in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus said, it is written. The Bible says. It's a circle to stand, to memorize, to quote the scripture, the sword of the spirit that God has given to us. Our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel. Every step we take is in the gospel. I'm saved. I'm forgiven. Here's an opportunity to share the gospel with others. It's a tool that God's given us as the servant of God, the armor of righteousness on the right hand and on the left. Paul gives us some contrasts by honor and dishonor, by evil report and good report as deceivers and yet true. We come to understand that there was quite an opinion about the apostle Paul. Some honored him, but others dishonored him. Some gave him a good report, while others gave him an evil report. Some thought he was an imposter, but yet others thought he was true. As you serve the Lord, there will be a variety of opinions. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 1 that he wasn't seeking to please men. He was seeking to please God. And that brings us back to who am I really serving? When people evaluate our actions and think of a way of an evil report or dishonor. Verse 9 as unknown and yet well-known. So in some circles, Paul was unknown. In other circles, he was well-known. Paul was well-known in hell. You're like, wow, that's a strange thing. Because Paul's commitment to the Lord, we know that hell was familiar with the ministry of the apostle Paul. In Acts, there was seven sons of Sceva that tried to cast out a demon, and the demon replied, and answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Familiar with Jesus and familiar with Paul, but not familiar with these seven sons of of Sceva. As dying, and behold, we live. Because Paul chose to serve the Lord, his earthly life was shorter. He was martyred for his faith, and he suffered greatly to serve the Lord. And he says, I am dying, but I truly live. The question is not whether or not we're going to die, but are we going to live? We're all going to die, but are we truly going to be alive? And that life comes through serving the Lord. 
as chastened and yet not killed, beaten but yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing. Doesn't seem like those two should go together. Sorrowful but yet rejoicing, but they do. Rejoicing is not the absence of sorrow, but rejoicing is in the midst of sorrow. It's in the midst of disappointment. It's in the midst of difficulty. And Paul had a lot of sorrow, but he chose to rejoice in who the Lord was and his relationship with the Lord, that his name was written in the Lamb's book of life, as poor yet making many rich. So Paul admits that he's poor. From an earthly perspective, he didn't have a lot, but that didn't prevent him from making people truly rich. Spiritually, you can make people rich no matter what your economic status is. Whether God's blessed you with money or you don't have any, we can make people rich. As having nothing yet possessing all things. Paul did not fall into this trap of whoever has the most toys wins. Like, I don't possess a lot on this side of eternity, but yet I own all things because of my relationship with the Lord and the eternal life that God has given to me. In verse 11, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. You can see the love that Paul has for him. We just poured out our love to you. We've opened up our, our hearts to you. It seems that the church of Corinth saw Paul in light that he was restricting them. Have you ever been there? Probably our parents at some point. Mom and dad are just trying to keep me from having fun. Maybe a pastor or a mentor, somebody that's come alongside of you and you're like, man, they're just restricting me. The reality of it is Paul's not restricting the Corinthians, but they're restricted by their own lusts. They're, they're restricted by their own evil desires. That's what's holding them back. So if you're focused on someone, maybe you're like, man, my, my spouse is restricting me, or my Christian friend is restricting me. No, the reality is, is we're restricted by our own affections, by our own lust. Verse 13, now in return for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. So Paul's saying, I want you to be open to what I'm saying. I'm speaking to you as children. You, you need to open up your hearts. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? And what accord has Christ with Belial? Impacted by grace, we live as children of the light. And living as children of the light, we're not unequally yoked with unbelievers. Paul uses this term that comes from plowing a field where you would have two oxen linked with a, a yoke. We're not familiar with it, but the Corinthians would be. And this yoke was designed, it was fitted for the oxen where they would plow together and they would be a team, they'd be linked together. And what Paul is declaring here is, is that we shouldn't be unequally yoked to an unbeliever because our natures are different. And he gives us these rhetorical questions of, of what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. They, they don't go together. What communion has light with darkness? Light doesn't hang out with darkness. Light conquers darkness. And what accord has Christ with Belial? Belial means worthless or, or lawless. 
Those things don't go together. And so for us as believers, we don't want to make the most personal, intimate relationships in our lives be an unbeliever. In fact, we're told from Jesus that we're yoked to Christ. In Matthew 11, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So instead of being yoked to an unbeliever, we should be yoked to Christ. We should be walking in in his yoke, letting him be the lead oxen, and he's perfectly fit a yoke for us. And we put it on and we go, oh, this, this is just right. Your yoke is, is easy. I'm going to walk in step with you. So does this mean that we don't have friends that are unbelievers? Absolutely not. Jesus was the friend of sinners. But it's your inner circle. It's those that are closest to you that you go to for advice, that you rely on. That's to be believers. I can't tell you how many times I've heard someone say, well, I know they're an unbeliever, but it's all right for us to date and get married because I'm sure after we're married, they're going to come to Christ. And they kind of just ignore this whole unequally yoked with unbelievers. Hey, guess what? There's no closer human relationship than marriage. So if you're single and you're thinking about marrying an unbeliever, please wrestle with this verse. God doesn't want you to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Have the faith to Wait and see if they get saved before you marry them. Because once you're married, that's a permanent commitment. And it's going to make marriage really difficult if they're an unbeliever. Now, having said that, as a believer, if you're already married to an unbeliever, then you stay in that marriage. And by all means, we'll be praying that your spouse comes to know the Lord. But this is really important. This is really important. Don't be unequally yoked with with unbelievers. I think there's an application here for us that even goes, my closest friends, those that I really rely upon in life, is is it believers or is it unbelievers? Am I in a position where I found myself unequally yoked with unbelievers? Or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? Verse 16 And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. In Corinth, there would be many, many idols. They lived in a culture of idolatry. And with these idols would be sexual sin. And Paul is challenging the church and saying, what agreement has the temple of God with idols? And he gives us this incredible truth, for you are the temple of the living God. We go back to the Old Testament with the temple when the children of Israel were instructed by God to build the temple. God's presence dwelled in the temple. And now God's presence dwells in us as believers. The living God abides in us. So what are we doing joining the living God to idols? Are we above idolatry? Absolutely not. It plagued the the children of Israel. And we may not go to a pagan temple and bow down, but the same thing happens when we elevate something before the Lord and adopt the gods of this world. Quoted from the Old Testament, several different sections of the Old Testament, and it all highlights our relationship with God. 
As God has said, I will dwell in them, I will walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. I will dwell in them. God living inside of us. And then God also walking among us. He walks among us in our homes. He walks among us in our workplace. And right now, those two seem to be the same place a lot of times, working from home. He walks with us at the grocery store. He, he is with us. And the relationship, I'll be their God and they shall be my people. We belong to him. He claims us and, and we claim him. Therefore, in light of this relationship, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So part of being impacted by grace is we come out from among them. We're not unequally yoked with, with unbelievers. And we find our fellowship with God and his people and we pursue him in holiness. When you do think of how sin affects relationships, God gives us the illustration of a husband and wife to illustrate Christ in the church. And husbands and wives, when there's sin that's taken place between you, does that affect the relationship? Absolutely, right? We all know that. And there's a breakthrough, there's reconciliation as we turn from sin and ask and receive forgiveness. If we want that close relationship with the Lord, that, that nearness with the Lord, our decisions, our sin, or holiness is gonna affect that relationship with the Lord. The greatest motivator of desiring and choosing to live a holy life is because I wanna be in close relationship with the Lord. Verse 17 is calling us where our lives should look different than somebody who doesn't know Christ their Savior. Not out of judgment, but because of the reality of who Jesus is in our lives. We should have different passions, different priorities. Our speech should reflect something different. We, God's called us out of darkness to live as children of the light. Verse 18, I'll be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The grace of God that saves us from our sins is then he brings us into relationship where we're his temple, we're his people, we're his sons, we're, we're his daughters. I want to just plant in your mind real quickly chapter 7, verse 1 of, of 2 Corinthians. This is where we're going to start off next week, but it really flows with our Context in chapter 6. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of the Lord. Running from sin and running as close to the Lord as we possibly can. So impacted by grace. Let's reflect on grace for just a moment. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Incredible. The grace of God. We respond to that grace by then understanding time, understanding that time is short, that now is the acceptable time for salvation. We respond to this grace by saying, I'm going to serve the Lord. Are you serving the Lord? Is that your heart? Is that your decision here the end of November of 2020? God, I, I want to serve you. And then to live as children of the light. Is there an area of our lives where God is calling us out of darkness into greater fellowship with him?
For some, the outward actions may be good, but there's stuff in our hearts that God sees, that we see, that the Holy Spirit knows, is bringing to illumination, saying, this morning's the morning to repent and to deal with those things. There may be things in our actions that the Lord sees, that the Lord knows, and this morning is the morning to turn from those things. Repentance sounds like such a heavy word, but it results in freedom. It results in freedom. Have you ever regretted repentance and confession before the Lord? And the Holy Spirit is the best at convicting us and challenging us and bringing things to the light and respond to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, Lord, yeah, this morning's the morning to to deal with this. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you have given us your son so freely, so graciously. And we want to respond to that grace this morning. We do ask that you would search us, that you would, would know us. We want to live fully for you. As the Lord identifies things in our lives this morning, let's agree with him. Let's confess those things and turn from those things. Receive his grace and forgiveness afresh. Father, you know every heart. You know those who have trusted you for salvation and those who have not yet opened up their heart to you. And eternity is real, God. So would you draw those unto yourself that, that don't know you?